The next Dibra, number nine, we're almost there, is Losane Beriacha Eid Shaker, which is generally translated as do not bear false witness against your friend, against your uh, fellow. There are fascinating discussions in Halacha that both expand and constrict what we might have otherwise intuitively thought are the applications of this halacha. Seems straightforward enough. Don't testify falsely about somebody in court. And that is obviously true. However, uh, the Rambam in Hilchos Edus and the Ramah in Shulchan Arach also paskin, based on Sugiz and Masech Shuas, that also included in this prohibition and this Dibra is testifying about something that you did not see yourself but you are absolutely confident it's true because you heard it from a reliable source. And there's what we might call nowadays hearsay. You didn't see it yourself, but somebody you absolutely trust, uh, like your Rebbe or something, who you know would never lie to you, told you that it happened. If you testify in a way that makes it seem as if you saw it, even though you're absolutely convinced it's true, but you don't indicate that someone else told you, but rather you just imply or explicitly say that you saw it, even if the facts are true, even if you believe them to be true, it is still a violation of this prohibition. Actually, in Shavuos, it goes in an extreme case, one step even further. Let's say your Rebbe tells you, you know, you know I would never lie. Someone owes me $100. They're not going to pay me. And I have one witness, but that's not going to help. So if you come to court and just stand next to the one witness, you don't even say anything, but just stand next to that one witness, and that way he'll see the two witnesses and he'll give me the money. Even that, even that is a violation, even though you haven't opened your mouth. So even if it's all true, but nevertheless giving the impression that you have something to say or actually saying something in court, even if it turns out that the information is completely true, but if you've conveyed the fact that you saw it when you didn't, that would also be a violation. The Nitziv in his Ha'amek Dover here on Parshas Yisro, on the Asar Sadebros, is a Madaik, that that's why the Torah uses this somewhat surprising and awkward phraseology, Los Sa'aneh. You know, which again we translated as "do not bear false witness," and then it points out really it could be translated as "don't answer" or "don't repeat." Why doesn't it just say "lo saeed, lo taid"? Don't testify. You know, that would have, that's much more normal way of saying it. You would think, right? Much more straightforward. Therefore, says the Tziv, no. The reason the Torah uses the term "lo saaneh" because it includes the prohibition of repeating hearsay, even if it's actually true, but you didn't see it. Ibn Ezra asks here. Why didn't the Pasuk say, Edus Sheker? Why doesn't it say, don't provide false testimony? Why the focus on being a false witness, an aid Sheker? The Ikar is the testimony, you would think, and the damage it could do. How come the Torah doesn't say, Edus Sheker? So the Meshachachma here answers, based on the same idea that we've just seen from the Nitziv and going back to the Rambam and the Gemara, that because the testimony could be true, the prohibition is not limited to quote-unquote edus sheker, even if it's edus emes, if the information is actually correct. But the witness is false. It's he's an aid sheker, because he's conveying that he saw it, even though he didn't see it, but someone else saw it. Even if it's true, the edus sheker is on it, is emes, but the aid is sheker. That is also included here in the prohibition. The second version of the luchos in Parshas V'yashanan in Devarim Actually, it's a slightly different variation formulation. Lo sana bereacha eid shav. Do not be a witness in vain. And the Ramban very famously explains that this includes another aspect of the prohibition. That even if you're testifying something that is totally true, but nevertheless, it will have no consequence or impact. It's shav, it's in vain, it'll have no impact. You shouldn't be testifying its 
prohibition. For example, if you testify that you saw or heard a person declare his intent to give a gift, and then he didn't give the gift. That is considered aid shove because that declaration is not binding anyway. So what's the point of testifying about it? It doesn't do anything. And the Ksav HaKabbalah of Mecklenburg elaborates on this idea as well, that even if you're just testifying that a certain person didn't transgress an Avera Beram Lamakom, meaning there's no victim here. You lied, but there's no victim. Still, the word shove tells me that false testimony is condemned even when there are, even when there are no consequences. In Shmos, as well, going back to uh, the original version of the, the Luchos, it says, Losana Bereacha. It focuses on Reacha. And Rabbi Kiva Eger and others have a discussion to what extent uh, would this be true if the testimony has nothing to do with any Reacha. Let's say you testify falsely in a case of Kiddush HaChodesh, sanctifying the new moon. You're not testifying about anyone. So would that be included? So this is a discussion. Rabbi Hanan Wasserman discusses Rabbi Kiva Eger. We don't have the time to get into it now, but you should be aware that the Achronim Armadaic, in the language of uh, the Dibros, maybe that would also impact the scope. Interesting discussion as well, to touch on very briefly in the halachic sources, about the punishment for this particular violation. The Rambam and the Sefer Achinuch tell us that there is Malkos here, even though this is ostensibly something that would be considered a lav she'en bomaisa. You've committed a negative prohibition, transgressed, you didn't do an action. Usually speech is not considered an action. We have a rule generally that a law of Shane Bomaisa, if there's no action, there's no lashes, there's no malkos. Nevertheless, based on the Gemara Marcos, Tafes, we have a drusha that teaches us that in theory you could get malkos here. Now what's interesting is that it's not clear what the situation would be where the person would get malkos. How could you ever prove that the person is lying? So one possibility the Gemara Baba Kama talks about is if you have irrefutable evidence. For example, somebody testifies about another person that they died. And then they walk through the door. So we know that they were lying. So then you might give test, you give Malgos. And similarly, the uh, Mishnayos and the Gemara in the beginning of Masech Malgos talk about Adam Zomimim. Adam Zomimim are a famous subcategory, if you will, of false witnesses. But they are disproved in a very unique way. They give testimony about a certain fact, a certain incident, and then two other witnesses come and say, we don't know whether that happened or didn't happen. But one thing we know is, these witnesses can't be telling the truth because imanu ha'item, they were with us when they say they were in some other place witnessing whatever they just testified about it. They can't tell you what happened uh, in this testimony because at the same time that they claim that, they were with us in Chicago, for example. So in such a case, usually we have a special halacha that they get punished whatever they were trying to do. They were trying to get someone to uh, pay money that was dishonest, they have to pay the money. They were trying to get someone killed dishonestly. They can be killed. But there are certain cases, we don't have time now to get into the details, many of you know about this, but there are certain cases in which we cannot give that intended punishment, the reciprocal punishment, and then the Gemara tells us in those cases, we give Malkos instead. Okay, last but not least, I want to focus on the different uh, explanations that are given for the severity and the nature of this prohibition. And like we've seen in some of the other recent uh, Dibros, there are multiple dimensions I prefer to see it not so much as a machlokas, but multifaceted and multi-dimensions of this iser. So first and foremost is just the expression of the importance of telling the truth and the severity of lying, plain and simple. The Yerushalmi and other sources tell us that chosmo shal kadosh the seal of God is truth, meaning the essence of God is truth. So to betray that and lie is a terrible, terrible thing. The Sefer HaChinuch, Ben Yonah, and the Shari Tshuva, when they quote this, prohibition, they quote this Dibra, 
They basically say, listen, the reason for it is obvious. Lying is so logically understood as wrong. You know, what do we need to really even explain? And Rabbi Avram ben Arambam uh, says, you see from this prohibition, implicit is the mitzvah to be truthful, not only in court, but in all areas of life. And by stressing this idea of all areas of life, what he's really saying is it's not so much about court as much as about the issue of being true or being dishonest. That's one idea. However, I want to mention two other ideas which I think are also super, super interesting and fascinating. The famous uh, Hasidic uh, giant, uh, the Dinover, uh, known famously for his work, the Bnei Yisachar, so he also has a book of mitzvos, philosophy, and even some halacha, I think, on the mitzvos, called the Derech Bekudecha. Derech Bekudecha. So in his Sefer, uh, on, he has a whole discussion, very long discussion on our Dibra, on our topic, and he points out that Ikra mitzvah lonela mehamasil. The essence is as obvious if you think about it. He says basically, the real issue here is the absolute corrupting of the judicial system by dishonest witnesses is a threat to the entire civilization. There simply cannot be a society unless we have a certain reliance that when things go wrong, we can trust the legal system. And Eidos Sheker threatens that entire legal system upon which society and even civilization rests. This kind of philosophical, even political analysis is in the Derech Bechudecha. He says it. And a foil to this is that the Sefer Achinoch and others point out that it's for the same reason why giving honest and true testimony is in fact a mitzvah. It's actually a mitzvah because it upholds the whole society when people know that if something is wrong, they have redress in court. And by testifying falsely, you have completely uh, compromised that. The Nitziv here as well emphasizes, and says, excuse me, points out that when the Torah says, Losana Bereecha, that focus on Reecha, is also highlighting the importance of this idea, preserving the social order. And he says, and it's against what we just said a minute ago, as important as telling the truth is, as bad as lying is, that's not what gets us into the Aseris Dibros. We have other psukim to talk about the importance of truth, of the problem of lying, but that doesn't get into the Dibros. The reason it's in the Dibros is because Losana Bere'acha, the focus on the societal impact, that is what is so terrible. And last but not least, there are many sources that point out that there's a third dimension, not just lying, not just injury to society, but the Roshami Masech Tabrachos in the first parak says, in the name of Rabbi Levi, that a Baruch says, Im That testifying falsely is a direct attack on Hashem. It's an act of kfira. It's as if you've proclaimed that Hashem didn't create the world. The Mechilta actually, in a similar way, makes a cute, uh, so to speak, uh, insight. He says that's why we have the correspondence between the fourth Dibra on the left side and the fourth Dibra on the right side, which is to say, if you're a Mechal Shabbos, you're giving false testimony about the teaching of the Torah. It's in both directions. If you testify falsely, as if you've denied Hashem, and if you are Mechal Shabbos, that is like testifying falsely about Hashem creating the world. It's all uh, connected in that sense. And the Bnei Yisachar, the Derech Pekudecha, also quotes a more obscure authority, Rav Menachem Habavli, who makes this point as well. And he says, based on Psukim in Tehillim, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is present. Psukim Tehillim Pebez. Elohim Nitzav Ba'adas Kel, Bekerev Elohim Yishpot. God is there in the Kerev Elohim with the other judges. If someone lies in a court case, He's betraying 
that he has he's he's displaying his disgust not only with justice but with Hakadosh Baruch Hu himself. Made Eid Sheker is Kofer Bekono Haomid Baadas Hadayanim who may lift Nekono Besheker. If you do that, your Yore it appears Kiyakas Basham Yomar Belavavo. It's as if you're saying I don't believe in Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And in conclusion, the Menachem Rikanti says in his more Kabbalistic interpretation of the mitzvos and Tamiya mitzvos that he understands the pasuk of Reacha Losana Bereacha in this vein, because after all, Mishlei Perk of Zion refers to Hashem, refers to God that way. He is our Reacha, and therefore, again, as we just saw from Menachem Bavli, as we saw in the Yerushalmi, by testifying falsely, falsely, it's not only hurting someone else, not only hurting society, it's also an attack. It's injurious, as it were on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So incredible, incredible uh, scope here of not only some interesting halachos of the application of the mitzvah, some interesting discussion about the punishment of the malchos, but multifaceted uh, problems with this uh, violation, the idea of honesty itself, but on la'atzmo, you have to be an honest person, but on la'chavero, the impact on society, but also but on la'makom, it's an attack on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The tenth and the final of the Aseris Adibros is Lo Sachmo, do not covet. As the Torah tells us here, Lo Sachmo, base Reacha, you should not cover your friend's home. Aishas Reacha, certainly not his wife. Or anything that he possesses. In the second version of the Dibros in Parshas V'Eschanan, the formulation is slightly different. Instead of saying Lo Sachmod, which it does there, but it also adds, instead of the second Lo Sachmod, it adds Lo Tisaveh, which we could translate not as covet, but as desire. There is a huge halachic discussion way beyond our scope, whether these are two mitzvot or one. And there's also a huge debate about even if there are two components of one mitzvah, but what is the difference between the two? Many different opinions, but just briefly, we'll just mention the Rambam's opinion in the first chapter of Hichos Gzela. The Rambam says that Lo Sisava actually comes first. That you violate from the moment you have this desire, where you start thinking about and planning how you can get the item. From the Rambam at least, again, beyond the scope of the shear. But from the Rambam itself, it seems that the desire itself may not be prohibited by the Dibros. But once you start thinking about and planning, even if you actually haven't done anything, you violate Los Sasave. And what is Los Achmod? Once you've actually then started the process, which the Rambam describes is basically uh, significantly hichbira love, you're urging, you're pressuring, you're pushing, hiftzirbo, you're pressuring the person to sell it to you, to give it to you, and important condition, according to the Rambam, and this is based on earlier sources, you're actually successful and you get the item, then, even if you paid for it, but you pressured him and you pestered him until he gave it to you or until he sold it to you, that is Losachmod. Losasava is the moment you start thinking about it. Losachmod is once you start the urging, the pushing, and the pressuring. What is so bad about this Dibra? As we've seen with some of the other Dibros, I think very fascinatingly, there are, based on the different Mepharshim, a series of, I would say, concentric circles or complementary problems with these issues. And as we've seen previously, it is true as well for low Sachmod. So one group of Mepharshim say that at the heart of coveting is an even more basic Midah, and that's the Midah of Kina. Of jealousy, and jealousy is a rotten, rotten trait. 
the Reishas Chachma, the Maseh Sharm, and others say this deplorable trait is the root of everything, and it'll ruin your life. As the Pasuk says in Koheles, Oh, I have Kesef, lo yizba Kesef, if someone loves money, no matter how much he has, is never enough. And the Medrash commenting on that Pasuk in Koheles says, such a person will never be happy because no matter how much he obtains, it won't even be half of his desires. In the Masil Sasharim's beautiful and striking formulation, envy, kina, imprisons a man for life. So, lo sachmod, according to many of Farshim, is simply an outgrowth of that very basic and base and debased attitude of jealousy. A second approach, the Vilna Gon, others highlight, based on a famous comment of the Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra we'll get back to because it has another application later, but the Ibn Ezra and then the Gra and others developed this, say, you know what the real core issue of Los Ahmod? It's a deficiency, it's a chisaron in your emuna in Hashem, and specifically in Hashkacha. We believe Many sources, the Gemara and Yuma, Daflam and Ches, others, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu, he knows what everyone needs, and he apportions and he gives us exactly what we need. We don't get too little, but we also don't get too much. And therefore, if you truly believe that everything you needed, Hashem has given you, there would be no reason whatsoever to be jealous, let alone to covet and to pressure and to nudge someone else for their property. It doesn't make any sense. A true believer realizes that what Hashem does not wish to give you, you will not get. And whatever God does not give you, you will not get. And therefore, it makes no sense to be covetous, to have that chimur, if you truly believe that Hashem gave your neighbor what he needs, and gave you what you needed. Being Having that covetous, covetousness is in fact a violation of a principle of amuna. A third complementary understanding, suggested also in Masil Sasharim, but even earlier by the likes of Rabbeinu Yonah, the Kat HaKemach, Rabbeinu Bachaye, and that is that this level of obsession with someone else's material objects is a reflection of an overall problematic approach to physicality, to materialism, to Gashmias. Someone who is too drawn after material desires, and as a result, not only does he want what he has, he wants what everyone else has, and that distances him from what is truly matters in life, that is the spiritual. Rav Hirsch says so beautifully, it's not only a sin against Hashem, it's a sin against yourself, because you're robbing yourself, you're enslaving yourself, and you're keeping yourself away from what should be your true and proper and pure ambitions. The Pasuk says that we should love Hashem bechol levavcha, we have to love Hashem with all of our heart. But if we have such envy, such covetousness, and such desire for other people's things and materialism in general, then in fact that's taking up too large a segment of our heart to truly love Hashem. A comment made by the Sfasemes, Ksav HaKabbalah, and others. The Karakemach, I mentioned previously, that's an encyclopedia of Jewish ideas by the Rabbin Abachaye. He has a pithy turn on this, which again, I don't know if it's true halachically, but hashkafically, consistent with that, this idea that according to this approach, the problem with Losachmot is an over-emphasis near obsession with materialism. So he points out that if that's the case, not only should you not be obsessed with and have over-desire and covetedness of your friend's possessions, you should not covet too much your own possessions. That is to say, don't love your own money so much that you don't do the proper things with it. If a person is so obsessed with money, that he covets 
other people's things. And he's so obsessed with money that Kavachomer, he's not going to want to let go of his own material items, his own money, then he won't use the money that he's, as the way he's supposed to for mitzvos, and even specifically for mitzvah. In fact, the Karakemach suggests as a remez, that's why this is the tenth dibra, a remez to giving maiser, a tenth of your money. Three, four, three different approaches, excuse me. Again, there's maybe even more, but for sake of time, we'll leave it at that. Three different, each powerful and each complementary. And when you add them all together, wow, is this a bad, bad Avera and a bad Mida. Jealousy is a bad Mida, a Chisarn and Amuna, and an overemphasis, if not obsession, with physical pleasures. Lastly, I want to conclude by discussing the connection that this Dibra has, number 10, to the first Dibra, Anochi. You know, we have the leadoff hitter, number one, Anochi, and the concluding act, that of Los Achmod. Question is, why does the Dibros end with this, and why is it paralleled, why is it the bookend with Anochi? So some suggest that it's based on the Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra we mentioned previously, but there's another part of the Ibn Ezra, which is world, world famous, where the Ibn Ezra asks a question, a very famous and fundamental question, how could the Torah prohibit us in this prohibition of Los Achmod, how can the Torah tell us how to feel? Aren't emotions beyond our control? What about the notion that the heart wants what the heart wants? You can tell me to shake a lulav, you can tell me to daven, you can tell me to go to shul on Shavuos, you can tell me to eat cheesecake, but how can you tell me what to feel or what not to feel? And the Eben Ezra explains that this is, a faulty pre- this is based on a faulty premise, and that we should realize that emotions, in fact, aren't independent of ideology or philosophy or hashkafa. If we have the proper perspective as the Eben Ezra we mentioned previously, that everything is bahashkacha, that Hashem gives us what we need and what we deserve, and Hashem gives our friends and our neighbors what they deserve, and that we're not going to get what we don't deserve, and they're not going to take it from us, and we won't get it from them, and everyone has what they need. If we had that proper belief, if we truly, truly believed it, then it would just simply make no sense to be jealous of what our neighbor has. Jealously obsessing over something that doesn't belong to us is antithetical to that belief. As we've seen previously, he gives a very famous mashal that someone who's growing up as a simpleton, a commoner, someone who lives, you know, in the outskirts of town, the poorest of the poor, growing up, he sees the beautiful princess in the castle. Does he actually have a desire to marry her that then is frustrated? Not at all. He doesn't even have a desire at all. He doesn't have a chimud. He's not in violation of los sachmod. It's ashes reyecha for the princess. Why? Because it's not even shayach. It's beyond his wild imaginations. Says Ebenezer, you should look at everyone down the street from you in shul, in school with you. All of their possessions are as wildly unrelated to you as the princess was to the simpleton and to this commoner. That idea that Ebenezer uses to explain the whole idea of how the Torah could command us on the emotion, so to speak, of Losachmod. So Rabbeinu Bachai in the Karakemach uses this to explain how Dibra number 10, Losachmod, is related to Dibra number 1 of Anochi Hashem Lokecha, I am the Lord your God. Because if you really, really believe in Anochi, then you won't question his Hashkocha and the way he's running the world, and what he's given to you and what he's given to somebody else. You'll have no desire for what Hashem has given others. But if you do desire it, then that it reflects a lack of belief in Hashem, and will certainly lead to an increasingly alienation from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Secondly and finally, I want to share a beautiful idea which I've uh, written about and spoken about in other uh, contexts. That's something that I've heard from Mori Rabbi Rav Rosenzweig. He himself has uh, discussed this in public forums where he, was, he, he, he phrases the question uh, just to 
as a way of getting into his main answer, slightly differently, which is, why is this Losachman of all things the crescendo of the Aser Sadebras? I mean, we start with such lofty ideas, Anochi, monotheism, Loyia, don't believe in idols, God's name in vain, very abstract, beautiful, elevated, sublime, philosophical, theological ideas. Shabbos, the Sabbath, oh, these are elevated ideas, Kibar aim, the foundation of society, family unit, parents. And then we transition to all these difficult things like murder and adultery. Okay, they are very upsetting. They're not as inspiring as the first set of Dibros, but still, the core foundations, important things, murder, adultery, kidnapping, theft. But we end of all things on Losachmo. Don't be jealous if your friend's donkey. Don't be fr- fr- you know, jealous of your friend's uh, fancy new car. I mean, it just seems like such a letdown from where we started. This is the crescendo of the Aseris Hadibros. And Rosenzweig also answered based on the Eben Ezra, but in a slightly different way than we mentioned previously. And that is to say, what we see from the Eben Ezra, as I alluded to before, is that there's a fundamental statement that the Torah is making with Lotachmod, that the Torah can demand of us self-control and perfection over our emotions. That's how much the Torah can expect from us, and if we follow the Torah, we're committed to it, that's how great we can become. Even our emotions, it's not just our actions. The Torah's ultimate goal isn't merely to legislate what we can and can't do, but rather is to transform the way we think. Not only about the sublime, the first few Dibros, but even about the mundane. And not only about the nature of Hashem, but even about our material possessions. And in that sense, said of Rosenzweig, Losachmod is the perfect bookend and of the Dibros, the fir- perfect complement to the first Dibra of Anochi. Because what Anochi is the same idea, but not about emotions, but about thoughts. One could ask the same question. How can you tell me to believe in God? I don't believe. How can you force me to believe? You can force me to put on film. You can't force me to believe. And the answer is, again, the premise of the Dibra is yes. There are ways that a Jew can adapt, adjust, even some new struggles, and get to belief. Yes, the, the heights of spiritual ambition are represented by these bookends. Anochi in the world of thought, losachmod in the, in the idea of, a, in the realm of emotion. Anochi and losachmod are the perfect complements, the perfect bookends to the Dibros. That this, so to speak, Many constitution, if you will, of Judaism in these ten basic principles. Not only are there many actions that are obligated and prohibited, but it's so much more than that. It's even how we think, it's even how we feel. And in that sense, the Dibros are truly an emotion, a powerful and inspiring anthem of the Jewish people in the Torah, and Anochi in the realm of thought, the Sachman realm of emotion perfect buffends, and an ideal crescendo to the Aceres Adibros.